This is Nobody Likes Casey McLean, with your host, the one and only person who thinks this podcast should exist, Casey McLean. Alright everybody, this is the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. This is Casey McLean. We've got a solo episode today. I wanted to talk about the election, and there's not very many comics with whom I'd like to talk about the election with. I I I hesitate to talk about politics with anyone who is too far to one direction. I consider myself left of center, which in like my high school friend group that includes several ethnic ethnic minorities, not to brag, but I got a I got a, a United Nations of of uh, high school friends. I was like the most liberal. And in comedy, I feel like being left of center almost Makes you like the alt-right in comedy. So if I was going to talk to a comic, I wanted to talk to someone who was a centrist or who I knew to be rational. And I contacted a couple people and uh, they weren't available tonight. And so I actually had had also contacted a friend of mine who four years ago when Donald Trump got elected – we had a podcast scheduled for the next day with the expectation that Hillary would win and he worked for the Hillary campaign. And when Hillary lost, like so many uh, Americans and people that worked in politics, especially on the Democratic side of the aisle, he was not in much of a talking mood the next day. So we, we never ended up doing a podcast about it, which is fine. He is, he wanted a little time this time also, which my suspicion is, is going to turn into it being strictly an offline conversation, which is fine. I'm, uh, I'm happy to have people who are knowledgeable in my life to, to be able to, by the way, bounce. This is valuable is this is why it's good to have people of multiple backgrounds and to not live in an echo chamber is because I have a friend that does data science for the DNC and I will I will run ideas by him that I have where I notice hypocrisy. And I said this on the episode with Katie Herzog, but what I find is most of my friends are very liberal, so I find myself not because I am conservative but I find myself arguing the conservative viewpoint because so many of my friends are liberal that we already have this like agreement on 85% of politics. So it's good to have people who are farther right or farther left than you. Both. It's good to have both people who are farther right and farther left of you because... And also, by the way, having people who are, this is another thing that's like difficult to have in these times is having people who are willing to hear you present an idea baldly and plainly without 75 minutes of qualification 
And then they just listen and explain to you why they disagree. And you can still be friends the next day. So one thing that I heard a lot and that I was hoping for, I was hoping the one byproduct of the Donald Trump election would be that comedy would get better and easier and that people would be less sensitive about jokes. The very opposite happened. The absolute very opposite happened. We are more sensitive about jokes right now than I think we've ever been. And I guess I'm hoping that because Donald Trump and his wild shenanigans on social media. And by the way, I like having conservatives in the audience. It's crazy that conservative people are arguably better comedy audience members than liberal people. People who I disagree with on many things ideologically are better comedy audience members. In fact, if we want to talk about if we want to talk about the the true villain in a comedy audience, if I was going to generalize, it is white women in their 30s and 40s of either party cause more problems at comedy shows than any than any conservative or liberal man or uh and I guess specifically probably straight women, but I don't know. I didn't, I don't, I don't poll. There's no, there's no exit polling going on when someone's being kicked out of a comedy club. But I would say that the vast majority of heckling I've experienced at comedy clubs has been women. And I don't have like a, I'm not doing Andrew Dice Clay's act. I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty middle of the road. Uh, I don't, I don't try to be apologetic for my, for my, sex and gender, and I don't try to be, uh, I'm not a misogynist on stage or off stage or off stage. I do think that a little bit of misogyny is good for a heterosexual relationship. I will say that. I think that some playful misogyny, misogynistic flirting is good. Controversial opinion. I think that, that, uh, my wife enjoys positive comments on her appearance. Okay, and I'm not gonna deliver those. I'm not gonna write her a uh, 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 seven. I'm not gonna write down on a scroll and throw it in a bottle. Like they're coming out fast and loose to keep the relationship spicy. So, but on stage, not misogynistic. I don't have a. I don't talk about sex uh, in a dirty way. Not a very dirty way. I think that when I'm dirty on stage, it's innocently. Because I do have some dirty jokes, but I think compared to some other dirty jokes, they're they're a little uh, cuter, I think is what I would say. So it hasn't made it hasn't made comedy easier. It's made hair trigger it's put hair triggers on so many people. Um yeah, I've had I've had a. I had we talked. I think I talked about it to Gabriel Rutledge either on his podcast or my podcast. But we both we had a woman approach us after the show, very obviously a liberal woman, and I was doing a joke about how everyone thinks that weed is the cure for everything, 
And he was just, he has like another like pretty middle of the road act makes very, a very sincere point of not denigrating his wife on stage, which is something that, I mean, it's a conclusion I reached on my own, but it's a value that he and I share. Like I like being married. I love my wife. I don't want people to leave the show thinking that I don't like my wife or that I don't love my wife. She came up to Gabe and I in the back of the room and she goes, first off, I was offended by you. And it was the first time anyone has told me that they were offended by my joke. And I was like, oh my God, what did I do? And she goes, we cured my mom's cancer with weed. So all that stuff you said about weed, it's bullshit. And then I was like, uh, you cured your mom's cancer with weed. And they were, she was like, yeah, weed and chemo. We killed her. We cured her with cancer with weed and chemo. I told this story recently to a buddy of mine, and he I'm not going to try to uh, take credit for referencing it to this joke, but there's a Kumail Nanjiani joke about mixing drugs and a drug mixed with heroin. It's a cough syrup and heroin. And he goes, I think heroin's doing the heavy lifting. Yeah, in the same way, this is my friend. Uh, I'm not going to say his name in case he doesn't want the world to know that I uh, that he talks to me outside of a comedy club setting. But, uh, yeah, he said, I told him that story, and he's like, yeah, I think the chemo is doing the heavy lifting. Yeah. And then he, he went to uh, Gabe. She went to Gabe, and she goes, and I know from your jokes that you're not attracted to your wife. You you guys may not be uh familiar with Gabe's material, my buddy Gabe Rutledge, who, uh, with whom I am doing the Northwest AF comedy tour starting in Boise, December 4th and 5th, unless, which it seems somewhat likely right now. Uh, let's see, let's look, let's Google Idaho lockdown. Idaho moved back to stage three on October 26th, but Idaho is, uh, struggling and God, I just can't imagine. I mean, buy your tickets and they'll be refundable. So don't worry about that, but go to loungeboise.com. We're doing this tour. It seems like the tour might get put on hold. Uh, I think Oregon just reduced or increased restrictions. So Gabe's act does not have anything about how he is not attracted to his wife. But this lady inferred it probably from some uh, sub-traumatic experience she has in a relationship or maybe a traumatic experience she has in a relationship. But it's very obviously something she is projecting onto Gabe because of some insecurity that she has. And that's like... I've also had, I had, I had a joke about homeschooled kids, by the way, I don't know how that joke is going to work or it's going to work better than it ever did because everybody's homeschooling their kids. Now everybody's kids are doing school at home now. So yeah, I wonder if that, I wonder if that joke, but, but I had another lady, very obviously a woman who homeschools her children and who is self-conscious about the decision to homeschool her children. But I got into the into the bits 
uh, where I was making fun of homeschooled kids and she lost her mind. Uh, and I, I have like a couple saver lines built in because I've, I've experienced, uh, animosity from audience members while I'm telling that joke. So when somebody yells out while I'm making fun of homeschooled people, I always go like something along the lines of that lady's homeschooled. Or I say, uh, another way that I know someone's homeschooled is that they yell out at comedy shows. That's another saver line that I have. If, um, if somebody's losing their mind. So the point is, is that it hasn't gotten easier to write jokes that people, uh, that people don't respond irrationally negatively to. So I guess I'm hoping that the opposite is true. I don't, I was, I did comedy for a very small portion of the Obama administration. So I don't really remember what it was like then, but I guess I hope that having a more liberal president leads to, uh, some loosening of the reins around jokes. Hey, this is the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. Please check out my stand updates at thecaseymcclain.com. Also, follow me on all social media at thecaseymcclain. Check out stand up clips and videos of mine at youtube.com slash caseymcclain. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is where I host this podcast. It's where the file sits. It's also a great place if you want to start a podcast where you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When you're hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to all the listening platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Whatever you're listening to this podcast on, you can get your podcast to that platform very easily. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. But Joe Biden got elected, and I, and I voted for Biden, by the way. I wasn't thrilled to. I actually, I will say this, uh, I censored myself on social media. Because Joe Biden is very, um, he's an easy target for jokes. First off, I'll give you, I'll give folks some credit. Those, those, uh, that Hunter Biden story, uh, it seems, it's not great. I don't think it's great. I think it sounds not great. I think that Joe Biden is a better presidential candidate than Donald Trump. But I don't think that makes him a good candidate. I don't like, I don't want any more 70 plus year old people running this country. And people have called that ageist, by the way. And uh, listen, if you could change my mind and say that either of these guys, we we spent, by the way, a good chunk of Trump's early presidency pretending like he had alzheimer's until joe biden emerged as the favorite and presented with more severe symptoms than this guy who we were trying to pull a 25th amendment on uh 
Donald Trump's no good. The only ways that I think he's good, first off, um, we all, this is a, a Jack Knight bit, but we all know a lot more about the government than we did before. That's everybody learned again about the impeachment process. I learned about it in the, in the nineties when Clinton was president, but the rest of the, the, the rest of the youth, it's like every, every generation, every 20 years, we get an impeachment. Every 25 years, we get an impeachment to teach our country about the impeachment process. I don't know when Nixon got impeached. Um, or the other guy, whoever the other guy was, there was some other president that got impeached. I don't know when that was, but we get one every now and then just to, just to keep us on our toes, to make sure that everybody's uh, aware of the civic process. (laughs) Donald Trump is through potentially incompetence. I don't think out of like genuine empathy, but in his four years as president, there have been 45,000 fewer civilian deaths among Iraqis in Iraq at the hands of the United States military. It's still not great, by the way. 65,000 deaths in Obama's final four years compared to, I think, about 20,000 in Donald Trump's first four years um also that dude Soleimani who he killed I think that was the guy's name either that or that's a, a an Italian dessert I think it was Soleimani everybody assumed that would lead to massive retribution um which he was in Iran right but or he was in Iraq but he was an Iran Iranian uh general anyway that didn't happen that dude seemed pretty bad uh for a while he seemed i don't, i actually thought that one thing that trump's presidency did it never made me think he was good but it made me reconsider how much i was being charmed by barack obama in the media because Under Obama, the United States killed a lot of Iraqis, first off. Also deported a lot of people. I think it will come down, uh, I think when it's all said and done, Donald Trump will have deported less people in his first four years, or his only four years, uh, than, than Obama did in his final four years. I know that's not a perfect comparison, but I believe that's true. And that is not the reputation that I think that most people have. He is, his rhetoric is horrific, by the way. And I didn't, I think that for the first three years of his presidency, his rhetoric, you couldn't really attach a body count to his rhetoric. He's incompetent and ineffective and ineffectual as a president. But I didn't, I thought it was like he was a buffoon for the first three years. And then he's this like anti-mask pro-liberty at the expense of your neighbor uh north dakota south dakota where where the the majority of the sturgis pilgrimage ends up um north dakota and south dakota are now the highest per capita cases of any states in covid uh 
any the the highest per capita COVID cases among any of the states, and it took a big shift in uh, August or September or whenever that that bike rally was. And deaths, they're right. I mean, they're right alongside. They're catching up to the to the most devastated states, also. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that he made it three years without having like a real opportunity to, to, to really leave a wake of measurable destruction outside of the, when I say measurable, like, and I mean measurable because he absolutely divided our country, but I don't know how to, div- I don't know how to measure that. I don't know how to measure the impact of that, but I think that his, his rhetoric around uh around the coronavirus not only, I mean social distancing he caught it right now Ben Carson and Mark Meadows uh they have it i think that his he's had so many people in his in his orbit catch covid because of his because of just not even his rhetoric but because of his own Lack of responsibility and accountability. I have a friend of mine that I talked to about how if if this was an alternate universe and he wasn't fanning the flames of hate. And also, by the way, if you're and I want to say this, too, if you are right wing and listen to this podcast, I don't want to alienate you because I think the left wing's fucked up, too. Okay. I also think that, like, wow, I truly think Donald Trump is the least competent president we've had in this country. I do think that he intentionally fanned the flames of hate. He is building a fan base the way that many comics are building a fan base right now, which is to say something intentionally provocative. And then, listen, appealing to everyone means there's a lot of competition. If you appeal to a very small portion of the country, you don't have to compete com, uh, compete with as many as many people, as many politicians. Unfortunately, when uh, when the time comes that you need a lot of votes and you've alienated a bunch of people, it doesn't it doesn't work in your favor. But I I think he's been reported on unfairly, in addition to being incompetent, and I think like genuinely. Uh, unempathetic to other people. In an alternate universe, his presidency is fucking hilarious. These are the funniest moments, in my opinion, of his presidency, and I'm happy to hear submissions on other ones, and I'll read them on a future podcast if you, if you're so inclined. Uh, the government shut down. Clemson comes to the White House having won the national championship. And he's standing there proudly admiring a mountain of fast food is so goddamn funny. If I can, if I can include the clip on the show notes, there's a YouTube, not even a YouTube. There's a, there's a thing that the kid, the child on the movie, big daddy, which is an Adam Sandler movie. There's a thing that the child does that I swear to God Trump was doing or on the verge of doing where he was banging his wrists against the against his hips in excitement. He was so proud of that fast food. 
the when I heard that he told Sarah Huckabee Sanders after hearing that Kim Jong Un was interested in her that she might have to take one for the team and that her her husband and children will miss her, but they'll remember her as a hero. That's the funniest shit any president I've ever heard any president say. It's fucking wildly inappropriate, obviously. And it's coming from a guy who doesn't have the latitude to make even a folksy uh, sexual joke. But that's really fucking funny. And then, and then the fact that he catches COVID and then his, the guy who was like, we are not going to contain the coronavirus a couple weeks ago. He gets it. Ben Carson, the guy that he puts in charge of HUD, uh, even though he's a brain surgeon, he catches it. The fact that Herman Cain was an anti-masker and one of these pro-liberty at all costs guys, uh, catches it at his rally and dies. I don't think it's funny when people die. Don't get me wrong. But if you can't if you tell me that the guy that the amount of the amount of poetic justice being handed out right now on the COVID front isn't fucking hilarious if you have a dark sense of humor, you're wrong. You're just wrong. And then the four seasons situation is, I mean, way to say, way to close on the biggest fucking laugh. They're mounting this legal, uh, this legal battle against the local governments that counted. I don't know what it's even against. I don't know anything, but they say they're going to have a press conference at the four seasons in Philadelphia. They announce it on Twitter. And then I just, I, what I would pay so many fucking millions of dollars to be in air force one. I don't have millions of dollars to pay, but I would pay so much. I would pay every cent I have to be in air force one or wherever they were, uh, SUV one. When Donald Trump realized that they had scheduled a press conference for the wrong four seasons. I can't think of a funnier... And it's it's too late. They've already done it. They've announced it. It's too late. And so... And maybe they even called the four seasons and were like, we want to make an announcement. We fucked up. We booked it at this other place. And they go, well, no, we, you're like, we're a business and you're bad for business right now. And they go, fuck, we got to go. And by the way, the biggest credit in this whole thing, the person who deserves the most credit in this four seasons, total landscaping saga, which by the way, FSTL 1992, you can pick up your four seasons, total landscaping merch. They went from being a landscaping company that was probably doing fine to a clothing company that is probably making hundreds of thousands of dollars. They have a a sticker, I believe, that says Make America Rake Again. Very funny. Uh, to be the person who, when the president calls and says, 
or the some one of the president's aides calls and says, "Hey, we'd like to have a press conference <laughs> at your place <laughs> to not go." Well, this isn't the hotel, you know, like this is the, <laughs> this is the landscaping company, not the hotel. <laughs> the person who has the comedic timing to not reveal that this is not the hotel is a fucking American hero. And so then in front of this like kind of dumpy business park in Philadelphia, Rudy Giuliani and Trump's team hold this press conference in a parking lot that's obviously not designed to accommodate a... And there's people honking. There's people... uh, There's a guy screaming about George Soros outside. It couldn't have gone... That is... It's so goddamn funny. It's the funniest. It's quite a closer for Donald Trump. When the actual election happened, I was, uh, I mean, I think if you voted for Biden, if you're a, if you're a liberal of any kind, you were a little bit worried the first night it looked for a little while like Donald Trump was going to win. But I actually, I was talking to my buddy, Matthias, who is, uh, an incredibly smart guy. And he did a lot of really cool work on Twitter, by the way, Matty Anselmo, uh, M-A-T-T-Y-A-N-S-E-L-M-O. This is his Twitter handle. He did a lot of really cool work that went underappreciated. Looking at, like, these are the most, this is the stupidest way you could project based on outstanding votes. So all this stuff, by the way, people are talking about these Biden ballots appearing. He used the county-by-county county data, looked at all of the counties where there were outstanding ballots, Looked at it and the and his conceit was, if I just use if I don't make any correction for the idea that people who voted by mail in 2020 are more likely to be Democrats than in previous years, or than they are to be Republicans, or than even the state's percentage would indicate, or the the county's percentage would indicate they'd be just on. If the county ratio stayed exactly the same, this is the projected outcome. And Biden was uh, projected to, I think in his system, to win Arizona by a decent amount at first and Nevada by a little bit. And um, it would be pretty close in Georgia. I think originally he had Biden losing in Pennsylvania, losing in North Carolina. But at that point, he only needed Arizona and Nevada. And uh, so I went to bed like not I, – I so I was like, hey, look at these. I actually – I think that I can take a small amount of credit for pointing out like there's a lot of outstanding votes. And specifically in Georgia, I knew that there was a lot of votes because – there was this water main that burst at the Fulton County processing place for votes, which I immediately thought, I don't know if I've, by the way, I'm on take three of trying to record this podcast and I've fucked up the other two for a variety of reasons that I don't want to talk about because I will just become frustrated again. But 
if I said this already, I'm sorry. At the beginning of election night, I was like, we heard about this Fulton County water main. My first thought was, the fucking, these nutjob right-wing people will, will stop at nothing. We've heard about these ballot these uh, ballot boxes being caught on fire or filled with water. These scam phone calls to get people to invalidate their own ballots on accident inadvertently. There's people that are going to be going to prison very likely over this that are like prominent, outspoken conservatives. And I'm like, this, this water main is going to become a part of this story because Georgia was projected to be like a coin toss. And even if Biden came up short in Georgia in the end, which it doesn't look like he's going to, I think they're recounting, but it looks like he's going to end up winning it by about 10,000 votes. It was never going to be a blowout. And so Fulton County not counting was that's the that's where Atlanta is. It was going to create some drama if it was close, if it mattered, if it came down to Georgia. And then we knew Pennsylvania was going to be late to report. We knew that Wisconsin and Michigan we're going to have some counting problems because they took on, I think Pennsylvania, it was like 10 times. It was 10 times the, um, the volume of mail-in ballots, but I could, I, I had an inkling. It felt hopeless around 8 PM on election day, but I had an inkling that the mail-in ballots so I, anyways, I think I, I think I set, I think I might've been a small inspiration for Matthias, Matty Anselmo on Twitter. So, and he's still doing stuff by the way, for uh, Senate seats and all that stuff. I'm sure that as the two Georgia runoffs happen, he'll, he'll, uh, do a little bit of mathematical work, but, um, I also take issue, by the way, with this idea that the models were wrong. And part of the reason is, is that I do that kind of work as my day job. And they were presented at least the 538 one, which, by the way, remained in 2016. They gave Donald Trump, Donald, Donald, Donald Trump. That's not too bad, actually. They gave Donald Trump a 28% chance or 26% chance of winning. That happening is not a shock. Everybody else said it was going to be a Hillary blowout. 538 was the high man on Donald Trump. And then this year they gave Joe Biden about a 90% chance of winning, about a 10% chance of a Trump victory. And there was polling that suggested there. So there was this huge polling error, but in this model, in the 538 model, there were error bars that indicated that there was a range of outcomes. And what we got was like within their range of outcomes. Uh, 538 projected Florida for 
for Biden, which was their biggest miss. They projected, I think, Georgia and Ohio as toss-ups. And it looks like Biden's going to get Georgia. And uh, and uh, what's his name? <laughs> Trump. It's, it's, it's late at night. I'm a fucking new parent. I kinda, when do I stop getting to use the new parent thing? Does my daughter have to graduate? Um, graduate high school before? Can I, can I wait until then? I'm trying to find the exact states that they missed. So they missed on Florida. It looks like they're going to miss on North Carolina. Uh, they were right. It looks like on Arizona. Let's take a, let's take a peek at the present, uh, picture of Arizona. Um, they, Georgia, they had as a toss up Ohio. They had as a toss up. It looks like one state's going to go to Biden. One state's going to go to Trump. Arizona, where are we at? Where are we at? Oh, we got a video playing in the background. That's good. Uh, we got about a 15,000 vote lead for Joe Biden. It's getting kind of close. Getting kind of close in Arizona. Uh, and then they were right on all of the, all of the likely Republican states technically alaska hasn't been called but that's going to be a republican state so even then right now i think biden you'd you'd project you'd probably project over 300 i think it's like 306 um how many electoral votes are you arizona tell me how many electoral votes you are arizona you're not gonna do it point is it's uh they were right in a way it was in the range of outcomes that they laid out and they had a system where if you wanted to check for polling errors you could and if you if they missed by a certain amount on one state like florida it presumed some stuff about other states but this was in the range of outcomes this model was not wrong Joe Biden had like a, I think his, I, I actually think that his, his average expected in all of their simulations, his average expected, uh, electoral votes were like 320 or 330. So yes, behind that, but like, I think his low was like two, whatever, 260 something, 250 something. It was always going to be either close or a blowout for Democrats. And, yeah, I guess I'm sensitive about the modeling thing. There was a lot of people... By the way, in 2024, if anybody tells you that there's going to be a fucking landslide, I don't care if they're a Republican or a Democrat, kick them in their fucking private parts. Okay? Because, first off, it doesn't even matter if it's a blowout. Joe Biden is going to win this election by maybe 6 million votes in the popular vote. It, that, it doesn't matter if it's a landslide because we have this electoral college that makes it, that makes it easy. It makes it gameable is the point. Not only by the way, is, are all the districts in this country fucked up and they seem to specifically gerrymander against democratic voting. But the Electoral College makes it so that these guys really only have to focus, these men and women, these politicians, 
They only really have to focus on like eight or nine states. The Democrats know they have California. The Democrats, that's another thing, by the way, that I find very frustrating about this like woke culture that we're living in. And again, I voted for Joe Biden. I was, I'm not thrilled to be voting for Joe Biden, by the way. It's a fucking embarrassment that these are the two candidates we have for president or a 78 year old guy with some real fucking problems uh, that I think I will say it seems like the media steamrolled over the Hunter Biden laptop thing. Uh, I am glad that Joe Biden is president instead of Donald Trump because I think he's boring. I think he will he will uh, cool down. I think he's going to disappoint everybody. That's the perfect compromise, right? Is when everyone's a little bit disappointed. The woke side of the Democrats, he's going to disappoint them. The far right side and libertarians, he's going to disappoint them. By the way, I'm not putting libertarians on the far right. If you're a sensitive libertarian out there, uh, he's going to disappoint everybody a little bit. I'm not excited. I was never excited to vote for Joe Biden. The the woke shit that bothers me is I saw I saw a woman, a black woman, tweet about how um black women won the election. And I think that and she she showed that black men voted for Trump, I think, at twice the rate of black women. It was like twenty percent compared to eleven percent. And also uh, but I, I think that black men's support of Donald Trump increased this election, but I think that's actually true of black women also in polling and attach all of your, uh, skepticism of whatever to polling. But in the polling, it appeared that support for Donald Trump among black men and black women increased. It increased at a lower rate, at a slower rate among women than men but still an increase. And a woman pointed that out and she goes, uh, black women won you this election, black men get your shit together. And we've reached a point with wokeness where this became like this, this rallying cry that I saw multiple, you know, thousands of retweets, I believe. And to me, what that's saying is we've reached a point of wokeness where when a black person, a disenfranchised group, a person of a disenfranchised group does not follow the woke dogma. We now tell as these woke people who are supposed to be out for the, uh, for the betterment of black people, the betterment of ethnic minorities and poor people. Uh, we are now telling that black person, well, you're too stupid to know what's good for you. So just do what we say. Just do what we say, because you're too stupid, uh, black dude that voted Republican. Which is not, that's not, that's fucking horrible. It, that makes, that's the most dogmatic thing I can think of. That's the most, uh, what I, I've said this before, uh, maybe not on this podcast, uh, maybe not in this way. It does feel like we are headed towards authoritarianism. But I can't tell you which side's going to get to the finish line first. Because it feels like 
the right wants some level of authoritarianism, some increase in police presence, and... Like, where is the... Have you seen those people that when a when a person gets shot by the police, specifically, I've noticed it when black men get shot by the police, but I don't want to... I don't want to presume that about these people, that it's specifically racist. But they will say, uh, play stupid prize, play play stupid games, win stupid prizes when a person gets shot and killed by the police. Have you seen these people in comment sections? Where are those people on Donald Trump t- telling his base and Republicans to not vote by mail? Where are the play stupid games, win stupid prizes, people on that. Um, what else do I have to say about this election? Let's see. Wokeness has, has turned in on itself is the point. And I think that, that Joe Biden is not a socialist. He's not a woke authoritarian. Uh, it's funny to me. It's very funny to me that I kept hearing all election cycle, the whole primary cycle that Joe Biden is a secret Republican. And now we're hearing that he's actually a secret socialist. It's so goddamn funny to me. Oh, here's one here. I got a, I got a thing. Uh, as liberals were very lucky in a way that COVID happened under Donald Trump. And we're not lucky because, I mean, 240,000 people or something are dead. And you see a lot of the, you have 240,000 murders on your hand, Donald Trump. And I actually, I will say, I think that his rhetoric has caused death. I, I don't even, I have no doubt about that, that his rhetoric, that Donald Trump's rhetoric has caused unnecessary death. But what I don't think is that if Hillary Clinton were president, that there'd be zero deaths. In fact, I think it'd be pretty aggressive to suggest that there would be, say, 100,000 deaths. That'd be very aggressive. 140,000 fewer deaths. That would be quite a feat, we would say, now, with the knowledge that there's been 240,000 deaths. But if we were, this is the hypocrisy of all this shit, by the way, is if we were approaching an election cycle and there were 100,000 deaths in a Hillary Clinton first term, the Republicans would be using that against her and Democrats would be doing the same mental gymnastics as Republicans are doing right now to suggest that that 240,000 is actually so many fewer than it could have been. Or that there's the economic trade-off is worth it. Whatever the shit is being argued, that's the that's the we like. It was fortunate for their their policies that that happened while a Republican was in office. Of course, you'd rather have those hundred forty thousand people back, but that's probably going to make that would have probably made Hillary pretty unpopular going into uh, what would likely be an attempt at a, at a second term. So finally, the last, the last thing I want to talk about is I had CNN on constantly. 
I watched, and I started out watching ABC because I like uh, Nate Silver a lot of 538. And I don't know why I switched. It wasn't even like a conscious choice. Maybe, oh, you know what it was? It was uh, ABC, the on election night, switched to like local programming. Oh my God. That's, oh, Lauren Culp, by the way. This fucking moron. Lauren Culp, you fucking idiot. Let me, I wonder if I. I'm not even going to try to find the clip because it's uh, getting late. This guy. So I I am sympathetic to people that don't like Jay Inslee, by the way, because I'm very happy with the way he's handled this. Co- he's the Washington State governor, if you're listening to this outside of Washington State. Overall, I'm very happy with the way that he has handled the COVID crisis. Uh, I wish that he had some sense to with comedy and live performance specifically, I wish that he would consider logical guidance for those places to reopen. Meaning restaurants are open, movie theaters are allowed to open. I think a lot of them maybe have gone out of business, but they're allowed to reopen. And to me, if restaurants can be open and movie theaters can be open. I don't see the major difference between the combination of the two situations in those businesses and what happens at a comedy club. And what I, by the way, I'm not saying that like maybe, I mean, so absolutely we need social distancing inside of a comedy club. Comedy clubs are willing to be very creative. I happen to know a comedy club that was like, would have been like, hey, if do we need a plexiglass shield between the comics and the comedian or and the, and the audience, the comics and the audience? If we need that, let us know and we will do that. We want to stay open. L- listen, if you want to make the argument that restaurants and movie theaters shouldn't be open, I think the the argument for comedy clubs is the same. But if those other two types of businesses can be open, let's fucking open up these comedy clubs. Don't you know I have some fucking material that's degrading as I don't do it? Jay Inslee, do I need to invite you to a show? Is that what it is? Do you need free tickets? Jay Inslee, I will, I'll get you in. I'll get you on my list, Jay. So Jay Inslee beat Lauren Culp. Everyone knew that was going to happen. Lauren Culp was the was the Republican challenger. I think that I think that he's probably libertarian leaning. Is at least the if I can make a deduction from the people that I know that were into him, that he's probably libertarian leaning. I was watching. He threw a victory party, which is very Trump esque, and then at his victory party, this is what happens when you take an ideology that sucks and put it in somebody who has absolutely no charisma is while Donald Trump is tweeting with all caps and he's talking about how every legal vote needs to count if you and screaming about how uh he won this election big etc cetera, etc cetera. Lauren Culp's like uh like literally this is the thing that he says at this he's got a like DMX playing in the background there's lights all over the place he's sweating he looks like he's uh taking ecstasy that night um, although he'd probably instead arrest somebody for possessing ecstasy. And he goes, uh, he says, uh, 
I think I think we might have had some voting irregularities too, because that's not that result isn't what I was expecting. This state hasn't had a, a Republican governor in like fucking forever in decades. And then there was a bill, a, a sexual education bill, that was controversial, but was polling very well. And he goes, I've talked to thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, and I, uh, I got to tell you, a lot of those people, they don't really think that's cool. So, well, yeah, you fucking moron. You've been at your own rallies. You've been at rallies of like-minded people, you fucking idiot. And then his, uh, his speech the next day, it was so funny to me because he did his speech from the, from the seat of his vehicle. I think probably the driver's seat of maybe a pickup truck. And at the beginning, he's like, it's very much like a, like a, a fucking bad comic going on live on his Facebook or Instagram. It's like, oh, hey, uh, Brenda. Hey, good to see you on here. Oh, Steve. Yeah. The, uh, he's looking down at his phone and he's seeing these people chatting with him. He's like, oh yeah, Steve, uh, good to see you out there in hop country. Okay. Uh, okay. And then what you see from behind him, I was like, I kept going like, is there steam back there? Is that steam? And then what I realized is early in the video, somebody's just smoking a cigarette in the car. Can you imagine how awkward that is to be in his pickup or car smoking a cigarette bored? First off, this is how you know nicotine addiction is real is that's a that's not a great look for Lauren Culp to have a, a cigarette just coming out from behind his head constantly. But He's doing this with someone in the car that's a non-interactive member of this call. I didn't stay on it, by the way. I don't know if the person uh, smoked multiple cigarettes, but that's how you know nicotine addiction is real is because the person could not wait the 58 minutes or whatever. I don't know how long the speech was, but it was it was too long to risk not smoking a cigarette. And I'm not being uh, facetious or sarcastic. Nicotine addiction's a motherfucker. I was I smoked and chewed tobacco for years. It sucks. If my relative or uh, spouse or partner was giving a concession speech or a disappointment, I don't even know if if it was a concession speech, I couldn't make it through without smoking or chewing. I know that about myself. All right, finally, John King. This was the dumbest part of the election to me. Maybe not the dumbest part, but it's a dumb part. I watched a lot of CNN. I've never watched CNN with any regularity before that. So I don't have I don't have commentary or really a preference on 24-hour news networks. In fact, my preference would be no 24-hour news networks. Because these 24-hour news networks in my opinion, are very obviously geared towards using division to stoke ratings and then to stoke profits. These networks have perverse incentives. And so I don't think CNN is better than Fox News is better than the one... Well, they're probably both a little bit better than the One America Network, OAN. 
I don't I don't know who the other ones are. MSNBC. My grandpa watched my grandpa was a conservative and he watched C SPAN. Is C SPAN partisan? I don't know. But is C SPAN even still around? Is that is that like uh is that like the uh mellow yellow of or surge of cable news channels? My grandpa watched C SPAN uh, I didn't think it was good then. I was very much against it back then, mostly because it was very boring for like a seven-year-old kid to to watch. So I would I spent less time with my grandpa because C-SPAN exists because I could not handle. My grandpa would watch C-SPAN and play solitaire. His entire family around him, by the way, and he would watch C-SPAN and play solitaire on a TV tray. Um. So. I'm watching CNN and this dude, oh, oh, by the way, this is an opinion that I have before we get into this. Uh, They kept asking, people kept asking on social media why these networks were not calling it. Why aren't you calling the election? It's so obvious who won. Why aren't you calling the election? The reason is that CNN, that Fox News, that MSNBC, um, whoever the other ones are, ABC, the reason they weren't calling it is, well, part of it is probably because Fox News fucked up and called Arizona early. So once, if they've called Arizona and the other places call Nevada, which appeared to be a sure win at different points, well, now you have the 270 electoral votes between the networks calling them. And also, I don't know what the fuck that matters. And the calling it doesn't matter because we got to count the votes anyway. And also, one of the most annoying things is when you're watching these these uh, analysts talking about the election. I heard this guy that I'm gonna I'm gonna praise in a second, but John King, who's on CNN, he's he's talking about the vote in Pennsylvania as though there is an active campaign going on. By the way, you fucking cynical uh, bastards. I almost called you bitches. But the cynical bastards out there who are going to say that people were still voting in Pennsylvania, I don't think that's what was happening, okay? But John King was talking about Pennsylvania as though there was an active campaign happening. He's going, Joe Biden, he's got to execute here. He literally said the words, he's got to execute. We know there's vote out there. Joe Biden just has to execute. Motherfucker, Joe Biden is done executing. It's over. We're just counting now. You're just doing math on TV. Which brings me to my point. John King, I heard, got like six and a half hours of sleep between uh, the Tuesday of the election and like the whatever day it was decided. He was on screen using the touchscreen monitor, the enormous touchscreen monitor, for just hours on end. And he's fantastic at it, by the way. An old guy using technology that well, very impressive. He explained it concisely over and over and over again because he knows people are tuning in. I happen to have it on... Oh, the reason. I didn't even say the reason. The reason all these fucking networks, it's because they're all profiting. This was like like four days of having the Super Bowl on your channel. I got it fucking on in the background all day. I don't know how many I'm I'm going to get a goddamn reverse mortgage on my house now. I've watched so much CNN. 
Joe Namath and uh, Joe Namath and Tom Selleck, real good salesmen of reverse mortgages. I don't know what was on the other channels. So they they have this touchscreen. John John King is using this touchscreen. We're drilling into every state. We're looking at all the counties. We're seeing the outstanding vote. And then it came to a point where we started to get. Uh, they call it vote too. By the way, they call it vote in a singular, like it's this fucking pool of liquid. And not votes. We can't call them votes for some reason. They also call it carrying a state, I noticed, which I don't like. Win a state. Carrying. I didn't like that either. I don't think anyone else cared about it. But John King, or whoever was touching, there was a couple other guys that were on it at different points. Maybe one other guy that was on it. I think there was a thing, a similar thing on uh, on ABC. Um but John King, he drills into these counties, explains the situation. For a long time, there were no counts coming in. So he was just like on repeat, just like explaining the same thing over and over and over again, trying to do it differently enough for the people who are watching to continue to watch, trying to do it uh, concise enough for the people who just tuned in or who are maybe just checking in for an update. Uh, he's trying to be diplomatic. I did notice that CNN... I will say, uh, right-wing folks, CNN, not the most objective people. I don't expect Fox News was particularly objective either, but I will admit CNN, not the most objective news team around. By the way, Rick Santorum is there. And Google Rick Santorum Urban Dictionary if you want to uh, throw up. But Rick Santorum, that's a Dan Savage gamed the Google algorithm to make Santorum be associated with uh, it's like the mixture of common lubricant. <laughs> By the way, that's nearly as good as the Four Seasons thing. That's so fucking funny to to game a, an algorithm against a guy. But these votes come in and we have John King. We got this 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 map where he can change different states and look at different scenarios. We can drill into every county and see the the percentage of votes for which candidate. The we can see the 2016 results. He he can uh, see how many votes are outstanding. But then when votes come in, it pops up this like equation thing. And it, you can't, nobody's doing math in the background. He's handwriting. He's getting a physical card and a handwriting. The numbers. And what you find out is either these dudes have horrible handwriting or it is a lot more difficult on zero hours of sleep out of the last 96 hours to handwrite numbers legibly. It's the stupidest shit. It's, it's like, it's like having a, uh, like being on a spaceship and it has, for some reason, crank down windows. That's a horrible fucking analogy, but that would still be smarter than having this touchscreen where you have to, it's got all this technology and you have to handwrite numbers on it. It can't do math behind the scenes. Give me a break, CNN. Give me a break. Okay. Uh, Joe Biden is very likely going to be the next president. If he's not the next president, uh, based, I think we're in trouble. 
I think we are headed for a democratic crisis, a crisis of democracy, not a democratic, meaning the Democratic Party. And uh, it's going to be a scary couple months. My suspicion is that Donald Trump is, this is my, my hot take, my hot prediction, is that Donald Trump will find the most honorable thing to do uh, for his own ego is to resign and to not accept, never concede. And I've also seen some suggestion that he's going to somehow negotiate some terms to his concession. Uh, I would still suspect that it's not a concession, it's a resignation. But also, I have to wonder if those terms are a pardon for the crimes that every liberal on Twitter is telling me that he committed that I'm too ignorant to know. But let's say they really exist. Bear with me, right-wing folks. Let's say the crimes really exist. Yes, we want a pound of flesh from Donald Trump. I understand that. We're never going to get it. He's never going to let us have it, okay? He's not going to concede humbly. He's never going to admit that he got beaten in this election fair and square if that's in fact what happened. It's never going to happen. We're never going to get the pound of flesh. If you've if you've been waiting around for four years to get a pound of flesh out of this man, it is not going to happen. So my question is, if you can expedite the concession process, if you can expedite maybe a resignation, uh, let let Mike whatever the whatever the actual outcome is going to be, there is only a rare person who could actually commit the type of crime that people are suggesting that Donald Trump committed. So uh, what I'm going to get to is if he's pardoned, but the transition is easier, it starts earlier than it looks like it will. Uh, There's a peaceful transition of power. If that happens, is that worth pardoning Donald Trump? All consequences included of both sides. So the consequence of not pardoning him would be that theoretically other politicians may uh, view that as an opportunity to be corrupt like Donald Trump was. My suspicion, by the way, is that Donald Trump is not that much more corrupt than the average politician because I think most politicians... Most career politicians are bought and paid for. So I don't have, I believe I don't have a Pollyanna view of politicians, period. So yes, I think Donald Trump's got some fucking warts. But my question is, is the trade-off of a peaceful transition better than a peaceful transition, Donald Trump, He's pardoned from whatever crimes he may have committed, or you go through the process, you allow him to continue to restoke his base, to recycle this this uh, misinformation throughout his his base. Joe Biden's transition starts late. The country is tremendously divided. Is, is that worse? And but then you get to you get to litigate and prosecute Donald Trump for these hypothetical crimes 
that everyone says he committed. And I'm not saying it because I don't think or or because I don't or do think that he did commit them. I don't honestly know what the actual crimes that he would be uh, charged with are. So I think that's worth thinking about uh, as a thought experiment. All right. Uh, I'm mostly doing this to promote stand-up comedy, so please check out stand updates of mine. Uh, I'll post them on Twitter at the Casey McLean on all platforms, uh, which includes Instagram. If you you can find me on Facebook, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. I have some some uh, YouTube clips up, some stand-up clips up there. Please check out NorthwestAFComedyTour.com. We're gonna we have dates in uh, Boise, Idaho, uh, Grants Pass, Oregon. I will be breaking away from the Northwest AF comedy tour at the end of January to open for Sean Patton in Appleton, Wisconsin. I'll be in Oklahoma city at the beginning of March with Jessica Curson. Check out those websites. Come see me do stand up, please. I don't ignorantly whine about the election for nothing. I'm doing this to get you out to comedy shows. I think I'm going to start selling nobody likes Casey McLean comedy shows on the road. And when that happens, I will sell those shirts on my website and you can purchase one and I will ship it to your house. All right. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I will be back with a guest to talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.